welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, hi, everyone. It's great to be with all of you today. I'm very excited about our time together. Who, you got, or who is ready to go today? You guys ready? Let's get after it today. We're in our final week of this renewal series. And as a reminder, I just want to say, when I say renewal, I'm not talking about a casual type of renewal. I'm not talking about like getting your driver's license renewed or renewing your, you know, your fitness goals. I'm talking about a kind of spiritual renewal where God comes in power, moves like the tidal wave of an ocean coming in, flooding our lives, disrupting our norms, awakening our hearts, our minds, and our souls to the inbreaking kingdom of God. That's what I'm talking about when I say renewal. Now are y'all with me? Come on, let's do this today. I believe God wants to do some good things. I really can't encourage you enough to be a part of nonstop prayer this week. It's going to be a really, really powerful time. I believe God moves in prayer, but it only happens when we pray. He doesn't answer unanswered. He doesn't answer unprayed uh, prayers. Are you with me? And so we're going to pray this week. That's why we gave you that one-hour prayer guide on your seats. That is just a taste of what we want to encourage you to do. Take that with you. Bring it to the prayer room. I want to encourage you to come to the prayer room. If you're signing up to pray, make it all the way. Like come and pray at the prayer room. Even if you're at home right now and you're coming to pray this week, you're by yourself in the prayer room. I just think there's something about making your week, orienting your time to make the commitment to come and be in the prayer room. It's like the boiler room. You know what I'm saying? It's where the fire is hot. All right. And so I'm encouraging you to come. If you can't make it, that is why we have the at-home prayer thing. And I'm cool with that, but I want to encourage you to take the next step, come to the prayer room this week. Every one of us can pray. All right. So today's message is called No More Snow, Only More God. Just kidding. That's lame. That's not the title of today's message. All right. Um, today's message title is called Commitment Issues. How many of you know that the world has some commitment issues? <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about the courage to commit to things. We have, this, this impacts our everyday life. I mean, we make decisions all the time to, to commit to things. Sometimes the decision on where you're going to go eat dinner when you're going out to eat, you know, it's, it's, the pressure is huge, right? It's like life and death. It's our last meal. At least that's what we think, right? I mean, I've sat, I mean the commitments of decisions that we make happen all the time all around us. You know, my kids, uh, I've stood many, many candy aisles while they've debated over Starburst or gummy worms, right? The, it, the commitment in that moment seems astronomical. Um, I'm going to grab something real quick. Homie don't play, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> I ain't going to deal with a mic issue today. <laughs> Not today. I want to talk, talk about commitment issues because here's the thing. Um, I, decisions are an example of the commitments that we make. For example, I made a decision to my wife, Christy, when I married her, and that decision was a commitment. And similarly, when I made my decision to follow Jesus and make him my savior, there was a commitment that I made. So I want to ask you something. Do we make decisions about our commitments or do our commitments shape our decisions? And see, this is a really important thing. I, I, maybe the way to kind of start thinking about it is like this, is that there are things in life that are the most important things are commitments. And those commitments determine my decisions. Are you all with me so far? 
So, for example, my commitment to Christy as my wife, when I made that commitment, it determines the decisions from that point forward. She makes all of my decisions now. (laughs) I'm kidding. For example, Christy's at home recovering right now from surgery. Hi, honey. Love you. Miss you. She's at home recovering, but there's a whole bunch of things that Christy has needed that she normally doesn't need me to do for her, but she's needed me to do them for her. Just so you know, before those needs ever presented themselves, the decision was already made based upon the commitment that I've made. So she doesn't have to wonder, am I going to help her? Because here's the thing. The helping and the commitment to her have already determined all the decisions. There's nothing I won't do for her. This is going to be good today. Are you all smelling what I'm cooking up here? The decisions we make are determined by the commitments in our life. You see, there are some things that should already be decided in what you do because of the commitments that you've made. Psalm 37.5 says this, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. That's a great scripture. But you know what? Many of us live it backwards. We wait for the Lord to act so that we'll trust him enough to commit to him. Today, culture, our culture around us, it struggles to make commitments. And I'm going to talk about that today because we have commitment issues. Most of us are familiar with the term FOMO, right? FOMO, the fear of missing out. You guys know this one, right? We make light of it usually. Your friends are all hanging out, but they're without you. You see it on social media, and all all of a sudden you have a bad case of FOMO. You're like, what am I missing out on, right? And this is really, really true. We make light of it, but we live in a world of constantly comparing our lives to other people, don't we? The social media version of of where we only share the best version of our life. You know, you're scrolling through and it seems you're you're on Instagram or Facebook and it seems like everybody does a beach vacation and you feel like you're missing out because you haven't done a beach vacay, right? And so you're like, man, I'm missing out. Or maybe everyone's talking about the greatest new show on Netflix and even though it's a trashy show, you're you're afraid of missing it out. And so you put put your best faith practices to the side because you don't want to miss out on what everybody else is doing. You see, FOMO is a powerful control mechanism in the decisions we make, no matter what commitments are in our life. Check this out, though. Author Patrick McGinnis, who originally coined the term FOMO. Someone came up with the term, and that's the dude. He talks about how another fear has now accompanied FOMO in today's world. And he says that FOBO now leads to a thing called FOBO. (laughs) Everybody say FOBO. The fear of better options. You see, I bet most of us can relate with this because whenever we're making decisions, we often wonder, am I missing out on a better option? And so we weigh our options before we make commitments. Let's say you're getting a job. You're looking for a job. You can't really find one. You've been struggling to find a job. Then someone finally offers you a job. And guess what happens? You go, I don't know if I should take the job because what if I'm missing out on a better option, even though that better option has never called? This is what most people call I'm waiting for management position, right? And so, someone got that. Thank you. Um, that's, from, uh, that's from Christmas vacation, so, you know. But anyway, um, we, so we, we start to wait for things, or we let, let's make it more practical. When you shop, are you always shopping for something better? Or maybe with friends, are you afraid to make a commitment too deep to a friendship because you wonder, is this really going to be the friends of my best friends for life? Maybe there's some better friends out there for me. Let me keep my options open. 
Or maybe when you're dating, you think maybe there's someone better out there, so let me keep my options open. And we keep waiting to make commitments because we're looking for better options. And so then, if we were going to think about this even in the context of our church, maybe this church, we don't make commitments to church. We hedge and we, we, kind, of, we kind of hold back just in case there's a better option that comes up. And so we, don't be, so we won't be locked into anything. And so we just don't commit too much. You see, this is what's called being free of commitments so we can keep our options open. You see, this isn't what you do, but this is what everybody else does, right? None of us in here do that. But our culture does in many ways. So McGinnis says that FOMO leads to FOBO, but FOBO is leading something else. And it's called FODA. Everyone say FODA. Not, not Yoda, but FODA. This is fun, right? This is the fear of doing anything. And so what happens, what happens is you just decide, I, I don't know, I, I can't make decisions. And so you don't end up doing anything. And there's a paralysis to actually act, to do something of substance. And so you don't do anything. And this has hit the church really, really hard. And it's all rooted in a fear of commitment. So again, the idea is to keep your options open by avoiding commitment. Therefore, you don't actually do anything of substance. But there is one commitment. There is one commitment in our culture that is thriving. And that is the commitment to consume more. And this has tethers to FOMO, FOBA, FOBO, and FODA. You see, when we consume more, we are working against the fear of missing out but we're also trying all of our options out so we consume more and we're living under the illusion that we're doing something, but all we're really doing is consuming. So our culture has elevated consuming as the endeavor in life that will bring you pleasure, purpose, and joy. And I just, wanted, I just really want you to consider, am I... Have I, have I committed or have I lived into this lie in some way? Because here's what I know is that a lot of us, a lot of us, we order our money, our time, our commitments to the endeavor of consuming more through more material goods, through more vacations, through more experiences, through more perfection. And really what we're pursuing is more life in some illusion of utopia that exists. But the truth is, all those promises of consuming more are actually empty. They don't actually lead to life. So we need to consume, this, this need that we have to consume more, I actually believe it grips us more than we ever would like to admit. I personally, as I realized this about my own life, I had to come to some sort of understanding, and I'm still working through it, just so you know, about what am I committed to more? Am I committed to more of God's presence in my life or am I committed to more of consuming things in life to get life? And what I'm realizing is if I'm, if I'm being really honest, my, my commitment to consuming is much larger than I ever like to say about myself. And this is living, this is causing us to live in the wake of FOMO, FOBO, FODA, and this culture silently puts restraints on any other commitment that we make, especially relational commitments to people and to the Lord. It's putting restraints on those things, saying, hold back 
because there might be something better. Don't do that because that'll tie you down. There's another life out here that's better. It's perfect if you go and consume this. Are you guys with me? I need to show you the, for one last time, I think, we'll see, this renewal process image from Mark Sayers. I hope this is seared in your brain. I've showed this to you three or four times now. But this isn't a prescription. This isn't a one, two, three step process of how to experience renewal. This is what Sayers asserts is as he studied church history, as, as others have studied church history, these are the things that are present when God brings renewal among the people, among the church. And it begins with that the people have grown discontented. There has been a holy discontent kind of rise up within the people. This isn't an angry or frustrated discontent. This is one that has a resolve for something new, a resolve for change. And it causes them to move into a life of preparing and making room for something new, right? And so remember, anytime you move something new into your house, you're going to have to make room. You go buy a piece of furniture, you're going to have to make some room. You bring in a new person, you have a baby, you're going to have to make room for that person, right? You got to make room for the person. But here's the thing, if I want the flooding spirit, uh, flooding presence of God, if I want a spiritual renewal of my heart, mind, soul, and strength, guess what? I'm going to have to make room in my life for that, and I'm going to have to prepare for it. And whenever we make room and we prepare, it's all predicated by not only the discontent, but it leads to a life of contending, that we're contending more than we're consuming. Here's the thing. We love to consume. We don't love to contend. And so this idea of contending, I shared the story a couple weeks ago of the Moravians in the 1700s, their church, they prayed 24-7, 24 hours a day for a hundred, over 100 years. They were contending for God to bring renewal and revival to their, to their church and to the world. And for us, we're hard-pressed to contend for three days. But we are doing three days of nonstop prayer. We're doing another seven days leading up to Easter with the hope that we can build a heart that is about contending for the things of God in our life. So there's a reason, there's a purpose behind a prayer room. There's a reason, there's a purpose behind saying, can we learn how to just pray for one hour as Jesus looked at the disciples and he said, could you not pray with me for one hour? So we contend. The last part of this process is called holy patterns. We haven't really talked about this one much, but two words that have rich meaning. The first word is holy. Everyone say holy. holy. Holiness is a life of purity, righteousness, Christ-likeness. This is a life that's actively, actively removing things like idolatry, sexual immorality, drunkenness, selfishness, greed, materialism. We're, we're doing away with those things because guess what those things are not? They are not holy. They are actually unholy. And he says, rid yourself of those things because holiness is actually the qualities of God that resides within us. So if you're ever saying, I want to reflect the image of God, it means that you're reflecting a life of holiness. Are you with me? First Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says, as obedient children, never again shape your lives by the desires that you followed when you didn't know any better. Instead, shape your lives to become like the Holy One who called you. For the scripture says, you are to be holy because I am holy, meaning God, I'm, God is holy. So the first word is holy, the second word is patterns. 
which means a repeated pattern of holiness. It happens again and again. And as Peter's saying, when you do holiness again and again, it will shape your life. Renewal can't come without consistent patterns of the holy ways of God. It just won't happen. And I don't think any of us would expect it to. We're all too logical to expect God to bring something holy out of something that is unholy. Now, here's the thing. We are made holy by Jesus. We are unholy in our nature. But catch this. We can't fill our lives with unholy patterns and expect God and his presence to come in great power. Now, it's one thing to have an unholy moment. (laughs) It's another thing to have an unholy pattern. Now, we understand this. We understand that in life, our values and our practices must align, right? Like, we can't say one thing but do another. Our values and practices have to align. So if you say you value healthy eating, yet you go to Carl's Jr. five times a week, many problems with this. And it starts with Carl's Jr. The shame. But nonetheless... You say you value healthy, healthy eating, and then you go to Carl's Jr. five times a week. Most people would say, oh, you're probably, um, at, at the minimum, you're, you're a hypocrite. You're, you're disingenuous. If you say that you value hard work, but you're, in truth, uh, a slacker, and you don't work all that hard, well, people would say, oh, yeah, he is disingenuous. He is a hypocrite. If you say that you value family, but then you go and betray your family, then people would say, oh, that person's a fraud. Right? So if we say we value prayer, (laughs) but then we don't pray, well, first of all, how would we ever expect God to then move in prayer? No, if we say we value prayer, we pray. If we say we value God's word, well, then we read it and obey it. If we say we value humility, then we walk humbly and love mercy. How many of you know that God likes to align his work with people who align with his will? Can I say that again? God likes to align his work, the things that he does, works like renewal with people who align their values and their practices and their patterns, meaning to his will. So you, if you value your commitment to Christ, which I hope you do, then a number of holy patterns should be present in your life. And why do I just say that matter of fact? Because let's bring this full circle to where I started. There are some things that are already, should already be decided in your life because of the commitment you've made. The decision to prepare and make room for the new, it isn't a decision. It's already been made because of the commitment you've made to Jesus. The decision to contend in prayer isn't a decision you really get to make. It's one that should be made because of the commitment you've made to Jesus. The decision to, to, to walk in holiness I'm telling you, it's not a decision that you get to make. It's one that you've already made when you said yes to Jesus. We think that we have the right to decide how we live, yet Jesus has already told us how to live. The problem, the problem, my friends, is Christians everywhere act like the decisions weren't made when we said yes to Jesus. We cling to the commitments that God and Jesus made to us. Thank you, God, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for eternal life. We're going to cling to that commitment you make to us, but the commitments we make to you are negotiable. They will be filtered through a lens of FOMO, FOBO, and FOTA. And if you've wondered why the state of the church 
If you've ever wondered why the state of the church in our world has, has moved into levels of disrepair, and at times, if you've ever wondered why the church can even be in levels of disgrace, at the center of it is this issue. It's a commitment issue. If you're a Christian, then I'm guessing you've had moments wondering what is happening to the state of Christianity in the world. You ever had that moment? We've all had the moments when we've been embarrassed by another Christian leader that has fallen into disgrace. We've all had moments when we've been embarrassed or upset about some group of Christians that are raising up the banner of Jesus next to their tirade on life and judgment of other people. And you're saying those two things do not go together. We've all had moments when, the, when people who claim to be Christians and it just doesn't match up and we've been, we've been at odds. We've been discontent with that. We don't like it. And as a result... When the people of God's holy church are more committed to, their promise, to the promises of the world, follow me, such as when we are more committed to the promise that consuming more will bring us life, when we're more committed to that than to the ways of Jesus, guess what? The church is going to come out looking bad. The church is going to come out looking weird. And so many outside of the church, guess what they're saying? Hmm. Their values don't really align with their practices. That's disingenuous. That's hypocritical. That's fraudulent. And as a result, the church, in some ways, in our world is in disrepair. And I'm often a proponent of the positive attributes of the church. And I tr truly believe that the church is not to blame for all that's gone wrong in the world. The church is to blame for much of what's gone right. I'm thankful that the church is doing endless amounts of good, but I, as an individual, as a person, as a Christ follower, have to look in the mirror and ask myself, am I doing what I said I was going to do when I said yes to Jesus? Is the church doing what it said it would do when it said yes to Jesus? And I can, I can look at, at, at the landscape just like you, and I can say, you know what? We are in a, we are in a moment, or right now, a moment of need for God to, to rebuild, to to, to restore some things and to renew his church. That, that, that's not a secret. And we need this. So I want to close with a, a charge from the book of Nehemiah. Uh, incredible book, by the way. Um, Ezra and Nehemiah together deserve some, a number of weeks at some point. But I just want to kind of touch on the turning point of this story. So Nehemiah is living far away from Israel. And he hears news of Jerusalem. Uh, and, and it had fallen. The enemies had come and, come and they had destroyed the walls of Jerusalem, destroyed the gates of Jerusalem, which in the ancient world was like the worst thing that can happen to a city and to a group of people because now you're exposed to the world and you have fallen in that, in that way. You have fallen into disrepair and into disgrace. And so if you want to just put this in the context of today, the church, God's people, Jerusalem had fallen into disrepair and into disgrace in their times. Now this was... This was, of course, Jerusalem was, of course, the place, the central place of worship for God's people. This is where people would come to worship the Lord. And, and over time, this, this result of the enemies coming and destroying them wasn't a result of just a random war. It was a result of the people of God moving out of the city, not caring as much about the purpose of Jerusalem and its intent around the temple. They had begun to move to the outskirts of the city. Imagine this, like people living on the edge of their faith. Are you with me? Not all in, 
They're not at the center. They're on the edge. And guess what they start doing? They start marrying people from other nations with other beliefs. So in essence, they start marrying the world. You guys following me? And as a result, the enemies come in and they bring disgrace and disrepair. And the whole world is watching. And Nehemiah hears of this news. By the way, this would be like, because they had their beliefs and their values had become misaligned, this would be like Christians today saying, yeah, I said yes to Jesus, yet they live not from a biblical worldview, but a secular worldview. And, and if you're saying, what is that? Well, 83, I just read the study the other day, 83% of Christians operate from a secular worldview, meaning their values and their beliefs are shaped by secular values, not by biblical ones. For example, as I keep referencing, they might believe that consuming more things will bring life, but the biblical truth is that death is the engine to life. Jesus proved that on the cross. That was a good one, by the way. So this man, Nehemiah, was living far from Jerusalem. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse number 2. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile. Now, I want you to keep that word remnant in mind. I'm not going to talk about it much today, but I might at the renewal night in a couple weeks. Um, the remnant is a small group of people who stayed committed. Are you with me? Verse number three, they said to me, those who survived the exile are back in the province and are in great trouble and, there's that word, disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has, is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Now I would call this moment for Nehemiah his his gateway for change, right? This is, this is the moment in which a holy discontent r rose up within him and he was not okay with the state of God's people and he was gonna do something about it. And so Nehemiah responds to God's call to go rebuild the walls. I'm summarizing very quickly for us. God's plan is to restore the walls, of course, but bigger than that, he's planning to restore and renew his people. That's what he's up to right now. Nehemiah chapter two, verse 13 so Nehemiah shows up in Jerusalem, okay? And it says, By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, which is my least favorite gate, by the way. Very smelly. <clears throat> Examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. How many know that <laughs> Nehemiah is about to make some room? Are you with me? Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing because I, as yet I had not said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials of, of, or any others about who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, do you see all the trouble that we are in? Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God and what the king had said to me and they replied, let us start rebuilding so they began this good work. And just like that, there was a return to commitment. But here's what I want to make sure you, you catch. 
the decision was already made in Nehemiah as soon as he heard the news. The commitment that he had made to God made, left no room for a different decision to be made. Something had to be done about the disgrace and the disrepair that the people of God had fallen into. Are you with me? It was not a decision to ask yourself, what am I going to do about it? For Nehemiah, it was, I got to go back to Jerusalem. I got to go dead to the center of the city. I got to go dead to the center of the problem, and I got to fix it. And by the way, when he, he didn't have to say much, did he? He said, hey, we got to do something about this. And everybody said, let's get after it. Let's go rebuild the walls. And by the way, our commitments like this aren't always easy. In Nehemiah's case, the enemies were not okay with this. They didn't want to see Jerusalem restored. They actually began to come after them, threatening them, putting fear in them. But the people of God, how many of you guys know that when God has his mind made up on something, there's nothing that's going to stop it, right? Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 6, and I'm about done. It says this, it says, So we rebuilt the wall... For the people worked with all of their heart. I love that line. They worked with all of their heart. And then if, if you go later in the chapter, this is chapter, uh, chapter 4, verse 17. It says this, and I have it on the screen. The people of Judah, or Jerusalem, were building the wall. While they were building the wall, carried materials and did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. How many of you guys know that it takes courage to commit, right? That, that sometimes quitting is it's, it's the easier path to take. Sometimes we think it's easier to live on the outskirts of the city, outskirts of our faith, and to just marry the world. Sometimes we think that's easier. And so maybe you found yourself, and if you're being honest, that's kind of where you're at. Like you're at church, that's amazing. You're watching, that's amazing. But when it comes to holy patterns, when it comes to contending, when it comes to making room, when it comes to going after the things of God, you're probably more on the outskirts and you're dangerously close to, to marrying the world, consuming more, buying into all the empty promises of utopia that the world offers, knowing that at the end, all of them lead to nothing. But having the courage to commit to Jesus in a world where the current is going a different direction you ever, ever feel like you're going against the current in our world? As Christians, this is what it means. Because the currents of the world move swiftly and powerfully, trying to pull us into greater individualism, greater consumerism, greater secularism, greater, greater, greater political division. All streams that promise so much, but take us nowhere. But when we join the ranks, when we join the remnant of those trying to rebuild the walls, We find ourselves, yes, facing the enemy, and the enemy will come at us, but how many know that the enemy can't do anything to us, that the enemy's only weapon is fear? FOMO, <laughs> FOBO, FODA, I know it's silly, but those are real fears among so many people today. We're afraid to commit. We're afraid to go all in. We feel safer on the outskirts. We feel like we can have one foot in and one foot out. 
It feels safer there, but in fact, that's the most dangerous place to be. You're, you are so much more susceptible to the enemy's attacks there than inside the city, inside God's holy place. Living in the patterns and the ways of Jesus, building up that, that protection in your life. Don't let the fear of commitment cause you to miss his renewal. So here's what I wanna close with this whole series. I wanna, I wanna big time uh, commitment call for us. It's a call to say, will you commit to the work of renewal in your life and in this church? Meaning, will you live with a holy discontent that things are not okay, that things have fallen into disrepair and disgrace and someone's gotta do something and the decision in your mind has already been made. You're gonna make room for more of God in your life, more of the things that he wants to do in your life. You're not only gonna make room, but you're gonna get to contend. You're gonna keep contending, not only in prayer, but in the way you live by putting yourself on holy patterns and you're gonna start to adopt more and more holy patterns, ridding yourself of unholy ones so you can live into the things that God's called you to. This isn't, you know, whenever I say God wants to call us deeper, that doesn't mean harder. I've said that before. It just means deeper. It means better. And usually the ways of God are always better. Those things are the good work of renewal when we do those sorts of things. And I'm just going to give you the picture that just like in Nehemiah, that's the things we hold in one hand and then we hold our weapon in the other. You know, Paul says that, you know, our faith is our shield. It says that God's word is our sword. So we hold that in one hand and we hold all the work of renewal, the commitments that we've made to Jesus in the other. One more verse from Nehemiah, chapter six, verse 15. So the wall was completed in 52 days. That's pretty quick work. When all our enemies had heard about this, check what happens to the enemies. All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. You see, when we join in the work of God, those powerful currents that are moving in the world start to change direction. They start to turn and go the other way, just like these enemies turned and went the other way and the current started moving. And see, if we actually want to see the, 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 the winds of the world, the, the, the powers of darkness, if we want to see that change happen, it happens by joining in the work of God. Not in our own work, not in our own pursuits, but in His. Now, if I kept reading and after chapter 6, we don't have the time to do it, but right after that, thousands of people returned to the city of Jerusalem. They were living all over the, over the countryside, outskirts of the city. They moved back into the city. There was a restoration of God's people in his city. It was a renewal of his church. You guys see this picture, right? So my commitment, I mean, excuse me, my encouragement is to courageously commit to the work of renewal. Friends, there's no better, there's no better commitment you can make. And it really isn't even a decision. That decision was made when you said yes to Jesus. And if you think that it wasn't, you missed what Jesus really called you to. He called you to a life with him. Would you, uh, would you pray with me? Would you stand up actually and we're gonna pray. As we worship today, I, I, want, I wanna encourage some of you to come and to renew a commitment. 
You know, many of us in this room have said yes to Jesus in our life. Some of us in this room maybe have never truly authentically said yes to Jesus for the first time. And I wanna give two kind of instructions. If you're the person that's never said yes to Jesus, you've never accepted his gift of salvation, then today I would encourage you while we sing, you know, I'm gonna be down here, there'll be some others, just come to us and say, hey, I wanna say yes to Jesus today. I wanna give my life to him. I wanna commit to him. I don't wanna be afraid of committing any longer. I'm ready to step across that line and say yes to him. For some of you, Maybe you've already said yes to him, but you're like, I'm probably living on the outskirts. I haven't been all in. I, I want to renew my commitment. I'm telling you, like, I, I just picture this, this altar just increasing in its, the freedom down here, that people are coming and they're just renewing commitments. They're, they're, they're coming to the Lord and asking for breakthrough. They're coming to the Lord and confessing. They're coming to the Lord and saying, Lord, we need your help and interceding for others. But use this space. We're here. Let's use it. And so the space will be open while we worship today for you to come and pray. Uh, if you wanna give your life to Jesus today, you can come and talk with us and we pray with you. But would you, would you pray with me? Father, we just want to, uh, we just wanna thank you. You're so good. We know that your Holy Spirit desires to move in us. And so Lord, we know that you might move deeply and gently within us. We invite that. We also know that sometimes you move powerfully with deep conviction and urgency. We invite that if you want. We know that any way that you move is significant. So if that's you today, I just encourage you as he wants to move in your life to allow him to lead you. Don't be afraid of what he's calling you to. We can just declare the end of FOTA today. We don't wanna, we don't wanna be afraid of doing something. We, we, just want, we just wanna get into it, Father. We wanna trust you. And just like, just like they said, the remnant said in, in the book of Nehemiah when they said, let's start rebuilding. Lord, today, we, we declare that same thing. We wanna start rebuilding. We wanna start re restoring. We wanna see the renewal of your work within us. So we pray in Jesus' name that we will be people, people of conviction, commitment, people whose values and practices and patterns align with who we say we are. We pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just sing a surrendered heart to him. This altar's open, free to move in this room for the next few minutes. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at OKC communitychurch.com.